You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Chelsea McLaughlin. And I'm Laura Brodnick. And we have had a very chaotic 10 minutes prior to this recording in which I said very earnestly that Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia 2 are some of my favourite movies of all time and Re, our producer, nearly stormed out. No, the whole, there's four of us in the studio currently and we all just took a moment to really take that in. I thought you were saying it because you were trying to be patriarch to the company. I'm like, Chelsea, they can't hear you in here. (laughs) There's no need to be such a little snob right now. But then actually, Mamma Mia is your favourite movie out of Uh all the movies in the whole world. Well, you just like the soundtrack. Look, I like (laughs) non-prestigious films, as it turns out. But that all changes today because the movie I am recommending for Weekend Watch may be my favourite film ever. Oh, big call. It is so good. So I'm going to recommend that. You also have a movie to tell us about. Two great movies, guys. (laughs) We'll get into that in a second. But first, the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. Okay, making TV news today, a reboot of the great Australian sitcom Mother and Son, starring comedians Denise Scott and Matt O'Kine, has been announced as one of the lead programs for the ABC lineup in 2023. So Chelsea, when I told you about this this morning, you were a little bit in the dark about what Mother and Son was. Is that correct? Well, yes. Look, I can't help that I didn't grow up No, that's fine. I'm not judging you for that. I watched it as real. Like my sister sent this, my older sister sent me this news last night and said, what do you think of this? And that's because we used to watch the reruns with our mum on ABC when we were like little, little kids because it was started before I was born. I'm not that old. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you okay, what it's cute. about. So Mother and Son is a classic Australian comedy that ran on the ABC from 1984 until 1994 and it starred Ruth Cracknell, Gary McDonald, Henry Zepps and Judy Morris. So Ruth Cracknell played Maggie. She's an older lady who's showing signs of early dementia and her younger son Arthur, who's a little bit uptight and by the rules, lives with her to look after her. So on one hand, it's a kind of odd couple comedy about these two family members living together. So very much the mischievous older mother and the straight-laced son, but it's also about family looking after an aging parent, all these things that I feel went over my head (laughs) as a child. So it's being rebooted and it was huge at the time. So Ruth Cracknell won a lot of Logies, including the gold Logie, Gary McDonald won a lot of Logies. So it was one of those, you know, swept the Logies back in the day when the Logies are huge. (laughs) That gives you an idea of how popular it was. So now Matt Erkine has actually collaborated with the original writer of the show to create this new series that is going to explore ageing and changing family. And the ABC's acting director and entertainment specialist, Jennifer Collins, said that Matt Erkine himself grew up with a white mother and they were really interested to kind of bring that storyline into 2023 and look at the warmth and how a family dynamic like that works in the modern age. And I think those two will just be so funny together, Denise Scott and Matt O'Kine. So it's coming out next year on the ABC. At this stage, it's going to be eight 30-minute episodes, so it feels like it'll be a good, feel-good Aussie show. So the Arias took place in Sydney last night. It was actually the first in-person ceremony since 2019. Obviously, there was a pandemic in between that that really threw the entire musical landscape into disarray. 
Baker Boy was the biggest winner of the night, taking home Best Hip Hop Slash Rap Release, Best Cover Art, Best Mixed Album, and two of the biggest awards, Album of the Year for Gala and Best Solo Artist. For me, the highlight of the whole evening was when Baker Boy gave his acceptance speech for Album of the Year in his indigenous language, Yongyu Matha, native to northeast Arnhem Land. Thank you so much. So other big winners included Tones and I with Cloudy Day, which won Song of the Year, Amel and the Sniffers for Best Group and Best Rock Album, The Kid Leroy won Best Pop Release, and The Wiggles, of course, won Best Children's Album. So that's really great, but unfortunately, most of the wins have been overshadowed by negativity about the night's production, with many people, I've read many a review this morning, calling it the worst arias ever. Yeah, exactly. The coverage around it is extremely negative, and not just from media outlets, but you know that's what people are posting from watching the actual broadcast, mm. some people who were there, and the negativity is really coming from the fact that they think it was a poorly put together show, the quality wasn't there, the backstage hosts were terrible, the live music was terrible, pretty much everything about yeah. the show, that the outfits were bad. Literally, there is no part of this broadcast that hasn't been picked over, and people really are calling it the worst arias ever. One of the major kind of talking points is that there hasn't been the star power this year, which usually happens. Usually there's, you know, one or two big international names that are on board. This year, not so much. Yeah, because usually there's like like kind of like the Lokis, there's one big international mm. star. And I think you and I have both been to the Arias before. We've covered the red carpet. Usually there's a huge amount of star power there, along with local artists yeah. who maybe had bigger platforms back in the day. I don't know, it sounds so old. Like, was it Dua Lipa the year that you were on the red carpet? Yeah, Dua Lipa and Khalid, so pretty big international names. Exactly. And it feels disappointing that you need international star power to get people to focus on what is a local event. But at the end of the day, an entertainment award show People don't watch it because they want to feel worthy and virtuous. They watch it because they want to see celebs. They want Mm. to be entertained. And it also didn't feel like there was going to be a big amount of controversy this year, which, again, you shouldn't watch an award (laughs) show for controversy. But, you know, it's like when the Veronicas performed and everyone knew they were going to do something a bit wild and they performed kind of topless, but they were covered in the glitter paint. Remember that with their – and there were all these stories around how they constructed their boobs to stay up like that. (laughs) That was a big talking point at the time. That's true. We haven't had much drama. I guess. It's very earnest. Yeah, there's been parts of the broadcast that have had to be cut before. You've had people who were like, I remember like the first year Delta Goodrum went and people was, again, I'm really showing my age. But like, you know, she was such a superstar at the time. People were obsessed with her songs and everyone was so excited to see her live. And maybe that hasn't crossed over. I do know it was kind of a smaller event this year, like it was held at a different venue than normal. It was a bit more open to like we were invited. I don't know if I told you that. We didn't get to go. We were busy. But you know what I mean? Like, oh, you could buy tickets to go in, which Mm -hmm. was nice. Like, they were definitely making it more accessible. But maybe by making it more accessible, they made it less kind of – it didn't feel elite. So people maybe didn't want to watch it. Again, that's a lot of speculation. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know that that's kind of like the less prestigious parts of why people would tune in to award shows. But it does then get people in and then – an award show like the Arias really showcase the local talent, which people may not have been able to see. Exactly. And I feel like the people who were making the headlines on the red carpet were more so reality TV stars or actors more so than, apart from G Flip, because they were there with Chriselle and, you know, people are very obsessed with their relationship. I didn't see a lot of the big talent or nominees making headlines like I did the other kind of celebrities who were there who weren't musicians, but who were just invited to be on the red carpet. So it, it kind of was very skewed, I think, in the coverage. Do you think this is a music industry issue? Or does it happen with the Logies, for example? 
I think that the Logies has definitely lost a little bit of its shine mm. over the years. And I guess maybe because people have turned to streamers and international shows so much more now. It used to be, I feel so old in this episode. <laughs> Chelsea, growing up in Australia, it used to be you watched Home and Away every night. Oh, I watched, watched Home and Away every Blue night. Blue Healers, too. All Saints, all those shows, because that's what was on TV and that's what you had to watch. Yeah. So when you saw those people in real life standing on a red carpet, mind blowing. There's Alf and Irene on a red carpet. <laughs> He's in a suit. They look amazing. And staying up to see who won the gold Logie. Like that was so important. And I just feel now that people don't watch free-to-air TV as much anymore. Seeing Australian stars on a red carpet has really lost its shine. And maybe the Logies, maybe because it's on the Gold Coast now, it's more laid back and fun. It's less prestigious. It's more reality TV stars who we see in real life all the time. I feel like the shines come off it a little bit. And also the Logies is suffering from a loss of international stars too. Again, it used to be like, you know, you'd have Ricky Martin at like the height of his fame come out and perform. And that was like having the biggest pop star in the world performing in Australia and watching the stars of Home and Away gyrate on the floor to him. <laughs> that was a big deal. Now it's like Wilma Vanderama walks out and says, hi, I don't know why I'm here, but this seems fun and then leaves. That's not star power. If I ever, no one knows why you're here, mate. <laughs> It's interesting because typically, you know, there is the International Artist Award at the Arias and often in the past it's gone to an artist who will then do like a video message that's like, hey, Australia, thank you so much. Like, yeah. love you guys. See you soon. Maybe like, you know, hinted a tour or something like that. This year's winner was Harry Styles and Brooke Boney just had to, you know, accept it on his behalf and say, I will definitely make sure this gets to him. Which- he definitely <laughs> doesn't know he won that award, nor will he ever know. No. But I feel like with the Arias, like the music industry was so heavily hit by COVID. Oh, yeah. Touring is so much harder and way more expensive than it used to be. And also in Australia, a lot of our touring venues and ticketing systems are owned by foreign companies. And that all filters down so you have less investment in, you know, local talent, less fostering of local talent. And so I think it's a real shame when you do have an event like the Arias, which is all about celebrating and giving a platform to local people and then it gets such a negative response. I think it's just a shame for the overall Australian music industry. Yeah, exactly. And they have tried to take a few steps forward to not just have the same sort of artists nominated for awards and winning. Like They have tried to make it more inclusive with doing away with some of the gendered awards. Mm. But even that, like we were having a lot of discussions at work about that this morning and I'm all for not having gendered awards because it especially means that people who are non-binary, that's a horrible thing to ask them to select a gender that they're Mm -hmm. not in order to win an award or just be excluded altogether. But what we've seen from, because this idea of not having gendered awards has been rolled out in a lot of international award shows, particularly in film and TV for the last couple of years, and it's not making that much of a difference. It just means that white straight men are still winning over non-binary people or women because they're still the ones that have the most influence and opportunity in the industry. So you're taking Mm. away a chance for someone who's not a white straight man to win an award by taking away their category. It's like how there's always been genderless awards in entertainment, like Best Director at the Oscars. And two women have won that ever. That's what happens when you have genderless awards. So I'm not saying that we should go back to having gendered awards, but it feels like you need to fix the start of the race, the takeoff line, not the finish line where it's too late to fix Mm -hmm. the problem. Exactly. So I feel like that was also something like the Arias tried to take a big swing and do the right thing, but it didn't really, 
it didn't really take off the way they thought it would. It shows how much there needs to be a, you know, opening of the doors in the industry and in labels and people who are making these ARIA decisions rather than changing the categories, I think, is kind yeah. of like an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Sort yeah, of exactly. An ambulance at the bottom of <laughs> the cliff. Very dramatic. Well, but, and know. also true. But on Mamma Mia, we did do a full article with all the red carpet looks. So we're going to link that in the show notes if you want to take a look. Na, 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 na. I finished my work week on my couch. Ordered some food. It's time for Week and Watch. Our recommendations of what to watch this weekend. Okay, I really hyped this. You really uh, did. You better live up. (laughs) So I am recommending Glass Onion, which is a sequel to Knives Out, but it is a standalone story. If you haven't seen the first Knives Out film, you will still understand what is going on in this. So Glass Onion is out in cinemas for like five days only. So you really have to go see it this weekend. Yes. (laughs) And it will come out on Netflix later in December, but you have to go see it in the cinema. I'm on board with that. You know, I believe in seeing movies in mm-hmm. the cinema to get the full experience. I implore you, go and see it okay. in the cinema. Well, like, I'm getting angry anything, at Jesus. the idea of not <laughs> because it is so good. So Daniel Craig reprises his role as Benoit Blanc, a master detective, but he's taking on a new case in this one. There's an ensemble cast which is just outrageous. So Edward Norton, Janelle Monae, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick, Madeline Klein, Kate Hudson – and Dave Bautista. And I have to say, I, prior to getting COVID, was supposed to interview Catherine Hahn and Kate Hudson, and COVID obviously stopped me from doing that. Oh, I didn't know that you missed that because of COVID. Yeah. Oh, no. So absolutely devastating. I can't actually give much away plot-wise because, you know, spoilers, but Edward Norton plays a billionaire who invites his friends to a murder mystery party on his private island, which is called Glass Onion, after the bar they all used to hang out with. So that's why it's got a very strange name. They're all very surprised when Blunk turns up, surmising that, you know, one of the guests invited him as a joke because it's a murder mystery thing. But then one of the guests dies, and then that's when the real murder mystery begins. Ladies and gentlemen. This is it. You expected the mystery. Get your hand off of that. You expected a puzzle. This is not a game. If you have seen The First Knives Out, this one is much flashier. It's so funny. Daniel Craig's very charming and the plot twists are really good. But for me, the highlight was Janelle Monae. And I'm biased because I absolutely love Janelle Monae. I spent the first like hour before this recording listening to her because I'm so hyped about this. <laughs> So, yes, it does drop on Netflix in December, but I really like, I'm not sure I've got across the fact that you need to go to the cinema this weekend and watch. You didn't mention that. (laughs) Well, I cannot believe this movie has knocked Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia 2 off your top movie list, but that's what it's done. (laughs) Wow. I'm so sorry, Meryl. Okay, so mine is very different to that. I feel we do this all the time. <laughs> yep. But light and shade here at The Spill, that's what we do. So I'm recommending Call Jane, which is a new movie that has just come out on Prime Video today. So it stars Elizabeth Banks as a suburban housewife called Joy in the 1960s. And she finds out she's pregnant, but if the pregnancy continues, it is life-threatening. It could potentially kill her. She tries to get an abortion, but, you know, a group of stuffy medical men mm-hmm. vote, no, we'll just let you die. So 
it's obviously very triggering in terms of like what's going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. But I think very important to kind of see like it is a dramatization of events, but it just rings so true. So there's an amazing cast in this movie. It also stars Sigourney Weaver, Chris Messina and Kate Mara. So Joy is trying to find out like what she can possibly do if she doesn't end this pregnancy, she could die. And she comes across the Janes, which is an underground network of women led by Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver's character who have this network where they help at-risk women have abortions. And the way the story plays out is just incredible to see. It's a bit like heart-wrenching at times, or a lot of the time, but I think it's told in an interesting way that really pulls you in. You're going to rest for a few hours. Which one of you is Jane? (laughs) We're all Jane. We have organizing meetings. That's the address. How are we going to get through them all? This 11-year-old girl deserves it. Well, this lady has cancer. She was raped. It has to be random. It's life or death for some of them. It's life or death for all of them. Stand up, stand up. So tell me how you ladies came to be, Jane. My wife's name is Joy Detective. Yeah, you told me that. You want to end up in prison? I will answer any questions. It's incredible to watch. Everyone's performance is amazing. So the film actually partnered with Planned Parenthood and the Abortion Care Network to screen at many clinics across America. And I know there's some funding. Elizabeth Banks in particular has been very vocal about this. It's based on a few kind of true elements. And also we know all these stories did really happen. Mm -hmm. And the thing is you're watching it and it's in the 1960s, but also knowing that so many women are still having to go through this is so sobering. And also, you know, they're getting all these calls through and it's like, this woman saying, I have cancer. If I had this baby, I'll die. Another woman saying, oh, I was raped. And this other woman going, I'm 14. And you're just like, how do you make these impossible decisions about who deserves health care and the risks that all these people have to go through just mm-hmm. to get health care to these women? So it's amazing. I know it might be a bit of a tough watch, but it's also just a really important movie to watch and super entertaining too. Like it's not one of those movies you'll watch and think like, oh, I have to watch this. Like my eyes were glued to the screen the entire time. So Call Jane, it's out on Prime Video now. And I don't mean to double dip into (laughs) We Can Watch. However, I was really torn about what to recommend today because there's two great movies out on Prime Video. So I just want to flag for anyone who (laughs) maybe watched that and then you need a bit of a lighter movie to come afterwards. I just want to flag that the Kaylee Cuoco and Pete Davidson rom-com Meet Cute is also out on Prime Video today and it is very cute. Like the two of them together, their chemistry is great. I know there were lots of rumours that Kaylee and Pete were dating during filming. I don't know if that happened or not. That man can't go anywhere without dating someone (laughs) or being allegedly dating someone. Exactly. It's just a really, if you're just looking for like a sweet little weekend movie to watch on a Sunday afternoon with a wine, then Meet Cute on Prime Video is also very sweet. And that's all I'm going to say on the subject. That's greedy. Well, thank you for listening to The Spill today. I can't believe that I admitted that Mamma Mia was my favourite movie. Actually, I'm going to stand by it's it. It's not even Mamma Mia, Chelsea. It's Mamma Mia 2. Shea is in Mamma Mia 2. Not in a good way. She's not. not. Oh, my God. We will have words <laughs> after this. <laughs> I need allies here. I'm being roasted left, right and centre. So please come to Instagram, jump in our DMs and let us know your less prestigious favourite movie is because I need allies. Yeah, everyone says my favourite movie is The Godfather. My favourite movie is, you know, Citizen Kane. Those are no one's favourite movies. Your real favourite movie is shit and you know it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this episode of The Spill was produced by Laura Brodnick and Jia Moylan with audio production by Rhiannon Mooney. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au and on The Spill Instagram. Have a good weekend. Bye!